Hello, 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 hello. Hi, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, welcome back to Awkward Introductions uh, 101. This is how. Yeah, I had to think for a second. I'm like, is that, uh, is that a mic check? Is that how we're starting? I don't know. What to be determined, right? Mm -hmm. What's the most awkward introduction you've ever been a part of? Like where someone says hello to you or something like that? Or like you're on like a, a new person call? Like you're meeting a client or you meet someone at a, a networking event. Like, do you ever have like an awkward exchange? You think of one? Uh, I had one yesterday, which was probably the most awkward because as you know, in, the, in this area, you're, you spend a lot of time in the road. So you never know how long it's going to take you to get somewhere. But um, I was, I was leading a meeting and we were having a speaker at that meeting. And of course you, that's you, you use the restroom and then you see the speaker and it's just like, that's not the time or place to introduce yourself as, Hey, I'm Tim. Thanks for being our speaker. So yeah, that was, that was kind of strange. Yeah. I, I get that. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I have one, but I'm sure I do if I really thought about it, but it's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing. Um, I know that I met today's guest three time OG, uh, Erica McManus. I met her through Lindsay Germano, Germano, mm. Germano, something like that. I don't know if you know her, Tim, yeah, but, I um, I had her back on my previous podcast, which is now defunct. Zach Miller says what I called that show. See, it's been so long. I don't even know what it was called. I met Lindsay. She, uh, rolled through hatch a couple of times. Um, she introduced me to Erica and, um, here we are. Maybe the person I've interviewed the most ever in the world. Now, actually, when you, when we, when we, when I and you were communicating about scheduling this and and, and doing this whole thing again, as I can't <laughs> express English, can't speak English <laughs> right now, um, you had made that comment that you have been interviewed by me and Tim a couple of times, but me five times. This is the fifth time, and I was like, wow. And you were like, I think this might be the the. I'm, I was thinking, I'm, you might be the number one person I've ever interviewed. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I looked through, and it's it's a, it's, it's a little uh, iffy. So there are people that I've interviewed more frequent times through, like, Hampton Roads Business Weekly, but they were all, like, at the same time. So we would do, like, 10 five-minute interviews. So is that one interview, or is that 10 interviews? Because if not, then you are number one. I think episodic, so... <laughs> Okay, so you yeah. do not um, you do not qualify as the the winner in that situation. Then, sorry, but that that qualifies for a really fancy word. Episodic. Episodic? Yes. <laughs> well, The Simpsons is the longest epi ep longest running episodic show of all time, and the longest weekly live show is WWE Raw. I'm gonna put it on my LinkedIn. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I think you were episode two or episode three. And then Very this, uh, this is episode 144. Andrew wow. can look to see what the second appearance, but first three-time appearance, th person to appear three times on the Fervent Four show. So that's awesome. It's like, it's like a January tradition. Who needs New Year's resolutions when all we need is Erica McManus <laughs> to come on the show every January? Well, welcome back, Erica. Thank you. I'm a different founder every time I'm on the show. So I'll, I'll always bring something fresh and new. <laughs> but that's, is that that's what's great. Is that a weird thing? Like, do you have to like psychologically, mentally, like put yourself through like, oh, I'm not that thing anymore? Because I remember Eric Olson had written this book and he had like the eight faces of Eric, where a lot of people knew him as a different person. But like, mm -hmm. is that a is that a thing that you have to like strategically think through and be like, Oh, I'm not that person anymore. And then kind of walk us through because last time we knew you as Erica, one thing, raising or had just raised a significant amount of capital, and now yeah. you're a different Erica. Yeah, real quick. I mean, so like cadence wise, episode two, episode seventy three, now episode one forty four. So we'll have you back like two ten ish. Um, See if she still likes from, us then. <laughs> yeah, from a cadence standpoint, though, yeah, to, to Zach's question, yeah. yeah, a lot has happened, so. Yeah, it, definitely deep emotional, mental, personal development and attention to those ages and stages. And 
I think, you know, as I've been doing this for six years now, and I meet with a lot of, you know, founders who are beginning and, and just take them through kind of that mentorship path, you have to be able to evolve with the company, like that emotional intelligence, adaptability, flexibility, those are things that I think people are kind of like soft skills. Um, but those are what, to me, make or break a founder is your ability to go through those stages. So this is actually, so we raised a series A um, last March. So we're coming up on a year. And I knew that I had a strategic role that was going to have to change in order to scale with what the Series A expectations were. And at the time, I was the COO, right? So all the operations kind of overseeing all the departments, everything happening. But I knew post-Series A, the COO function was going to change dramatically. And so I first kind of had that self-check of like, okay, I'm a founder. If I don't figure out where I belong strategically in my own organization in a post-Series A, like, you know, that's when people start to move out as founders. And I knew I just, my journey wasn't done yet. Um, so being a, a people company, I knew what I had brought to the company throughout all the six years, no matter what my title was. And actually I started out as the CEO and my founder and I flipped our titles, which is another story. Um I knew we were going to need to have um, a people officer and a community officer and a culture officer. So presented it to the board, had a conversation around, hey, we know we're going to need to go out and hire a COO who has been in the industry space, somebody who has grown and scaled a company to a certain level. And I just I haven't done that. And so the emotional intelligence and lack of ego to be able to say that is is game changing for your company when you can bring yourself to that point. Um, but then I had, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to continue to serve the organization. And so I left the COO position last May and have been the chief people and community officer since. How has that worked out for you? I mean, is, is, do you feel at home in that new position? I do probably even more at home than I was in the COO role. So, you know, two, two people with a business idea, what I brought naturally as Erica to the company was process, the people skills, the culture, really being in tune to that. I love those types of things. I love paying attention to those types of things. And between those early founder days and the series A, you know, you're pushed into areas where, you know, you don't naturally have maybe the industry skill set or the trained skill set. Um, but my ability to learn quickly and take in information and say, hey, I don't understand this, help me understand this, you know, served me well up until that point. Um, but I was starting to, you know, not enjoy some of the things that I was having to do, which is okay. Everybody's got things in their job, whether you're the founder or, you know, not that you don't enjoy, but I knew in order to be able to take on that amount of stress and commitment, I was going to need to go back naturally to what I brought to the table a little bit easier, just as my natural self. So I a hundred percent have enjoyed my transition, um, brought in a great COO. I think that has made the difference too, right? Somebody that you can transition, you can have good conversations with. Um, so yeah, it's, it's gone well. How do you I, just, I just wanted to touch real quick. What is it like interviewing your replacement or what is, what goes through mentally to find the person that's replacing you? Yeah. So our situation was kind of unique. So our current COO, who I transitioned out of my position with, was actually a customer previously. So for about a year, and it was actually one of our largest customer accounts. So we were able to build a business relationship and already kind of have that knowledge of who this individual was, what he brought to the table. Um, and then it was time for him just to make a career and a transition change from where he was. And it was around the same time that we were like, hey, we're closing the Series A. We know in order to execute and deliver on what we've said, we're going to need to bring in X, Y, and Z. And he just fit that bill. And it was, you know, a, a long process. We had different interviews, different conversations, just to be sure that, you know, it was going to be the right fit. But I mean, I was excited the whole time. I think if it's the right individual and it's the right time and you're in the right mental state about giving up something or giving up a role that you've had an identity at in the organization to date, it, it can be really positive. I, I've heard successful entrepreneurs in the past talk about how they were the right position at one point. And then as the company grew, they were like, yo, I'm not that thing anymore. So I, I if, if I really want to see this thing get to where I want it to, I have to be in that position. So it sounds like you were there. From a, a pivot perspective or from an origin perspective, are you guys doing the same thing that you were doing before, just at a bigger scale? Like, how do you describe instant teams? Like, if it if it was a category on LinkedIn, what would be that category? Like, what's the what is instant teams? 
Yeah, so the mission has not changed. I mean, we are still a remote team marketplace. We still build remote teams. But what we've learned to do, especially post-COVID, is, is segment that into the industry, like where it belongs. So right now, we say that we serve most through um, a direct hire model or a BPO model. So we are building teams that are fully outsourced, that we hire, we manage, we do all the HR, we do all the employee management and engagement. Um, or we also have a direct hire model where you can come into the technology that we've created, see people that meet the specs um, that our customers are looking for and make kind of that direct hire transition. So same thing, we're putting people in remote work. We are mission centric to the military spouse and military connected community. Um, we've gone from seven, you know, in the first year employees, we have over 575 as of yesterday. And so there's all kinds of lessons learned and conversations around scaling that many employees in six years too. <laughs> so is that a talent agency? Like what, like if you were to meet someone that doesn't understand yeah. that aspect, like what, cause I feel, I feel like most people would think it's a talent agency. Oh, you're just going to put these people, your recruitment firm, you put them in, but it's not that because you guys are actually Right. still working with them from an agency perspective. So it's more of an agency. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of that founder um, differentiating value, right? You can't quite replicate what's just out there in the market. And so part of that is a benefit. And then sometimes it's a struggle because you're like, we don't fit right here in this box. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we usually explain it as, you know, BPO, people who've worked in the BPO space, you know, know what that is from an industry perspective. And that's usually teams, you know, 10 plus people who are performing work as a fully outsourced opportunity for that customer. So um, it's not temp work, like a lot of our accounts, like we've had customers for years, these are full time or part time W2 positions. So there's a lot of things, you know, our commit was always bringing remote teams to customers, but also providing the flexibility, but standard of work to our employees. And so having all of that wrapped into one is what we just call it a remote team marketplace. And within that marketplace are the different models. And is everyone still associated, affiliated with the military in some sort of way? Or as you've grown, has that kind of... Yeah, so military spouses are not a protected work class. So we can't ever say as a for-profit private organization that we only hire military spouses um, just from like federal compliance EEO hiring standards. So we hire all, but we are mission centric and we have internal, you know, percentages. Like we always want to have these many, this much of the military community. Um, and right now we're like right above 50% are still military spouses. And then the mm -hmm. other 50% are possibly veterans, possibly dependents or not affiliated with the military at all. And how do you, do you, uh, like what are one of your, uh, KPIs in terms of, is, is it like military-based footprint or is it like number, like, do you, is it a goal to be all services across all the United States or do you go overseas as well? I mean, is that something that you look at or do you, do you just grow organically at this point? Um, we've really grown what we call career seekers, right? So as the marketplace, we've got the customers and we have the career seekers. We've really grown that um, side of the marketplace pretty naturally and organically because we are a part of the community. So before we actually even launched our revenue model, we built the brand in the military space. We built partnerships with organizations that also had reach into the military spouse space. Um, and that has served us well. We're actually getting ready to launch something pretty exciting in the next month um, that will continue to position us as kind of an umbrella and an opportunity for the military spouse community to connect, which will be very focused on things that the community is not getting right now, whether it's through, you know, installation specific or government funding um, that we can bring in kind of an exciting way to the private sector or from the private sector. So continuing to build our footprint and build as kind of the front runner of military spouse engagement and employment will naturally allow us to remain that um, part of our mission on the, the instant team side. When you roll out something new, what is your strategy to get that in front of as many people as possible so they see it from a marketing perspective? Um, I dream sleep the strategy at this point. That's the stage we're in. Like I've done this three times in my founder life and I haven't decided if it's a if it's an exciting blessing or if I need to seek some help. But I don't know if anybody else has ever done this. I would like to, to know. Um, like I literally still strategize and problem solve while I'm sleeping. And so when I wake up, it's like a steady stream of thought, like it never stops. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know I need to go write that down. That was great. Thanks, Erica. <laughs> so that's the stage we're at with the product launch, um, at this point, I, but I, I, mean, I, I used is... to do that myself, you know, I have okay, pen good. and paper. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, you have good. to. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, thank you. I feel validated that it's not just me. And, and it I looks like Tim does curious. too. I mean, well, yeah, and I'm, I'm curious though of, of those, like, um, I don't know if they're subconscious or sleep deprived, I don't know, sleep thoughts. Yeah. How do you keep track of like how many were great ideas? How many were like, eh, I should have thought on it a little bit more. I find that like when I capture something in my sleep, generally like those turn out to be some of the better ideas that I have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm an introvert, so I'm a deep internal processor. So sometimes I think in that restful state where I'm not called a call, needing to problem solve, you know, hitting Slack, helping people all day long, like when I finally do kind of lay down and stop for the day, like that's when kind of that natural, like deep strategic good idea stuff happens. So yeah, I think anything I've done in like that subconscious dream state has been, oh yeah, that's exactly what I need to go do. Or, oh no, I, you're right. Like the puzzle piece right there in front of me. So Maybe there's the something worst to is, tap into. <laughs> the worst is when you forget to write it down or I know. you can't, you're like, such a good idea. I mean, yeah, dreams are yeah. so weird anyway, because it's like, you know, less than 10 seconds. I mean, maybe even that's too long, but like, it's a, it's a wild thing. Yeah. Um, but back to kind of the product launch of this, I mean, it's almost like feeling like the founder cycle over again, right? This is really big. This is, it's a, it's a new business line within the company. So, I mean, it's just putting all of those same wheels and energies and systems into place to be sure that we get it in front of who we need. We bring the right people in to get it out. Um, so all that's very hot and heavy right now. I am curious. I, I hope that I, I really want the answer to be what is in my head, but I'm going to let you answer first. Do you, where is your biggest concentration of staff that you currently have? It, it, is it this area? I mean, for those that don't know, we are home of the world's largest Navy base. We have a huge military population. I really hope that this is the area that you have the largest concentration. Is that is that so? In the top three. So hopefully that that, that kind of uh, fulfills your expectation there. Um, so we do. We have a huge reach in, in Virginia, one of which is because I've lived most of my founder life of instant teams in this area, right? So just relationships and word of mouth and, and building that out. Um, our other two are um, the Fort Bragg area and then the Texas area. So those are just all very large um, multi-branch concentrations of the military community. So kind of naturally, that's where we've been able to pick up. That is an, it is interesting, too. So from a marketing perspective, are you, do you market to those areas? Is it just a way that you get in in front of those groups in, in the Fort Bragg? And I guess there's a lot in Texas. Is that what you're saying? Like, is it an aspect where you just use that as part of your, your branding to get out there? Yeah. So, I mean, we've always been a remote company, so we've always taken advantage of the virtual digital space, specifically even in the military spouse community, like word of mouth is strong. We I've moved 12 times in 20 years. So how do I keep up with people that I've met in those 12 moves through, you know, digital community, Facebook group type organization. So that is how we've really built word of mouth is by having strong social presence, um, showing up at partner events who have the built in local reach um, but this year, our kind of uh, unspoken theme is remote first doesn't mean remote only. And that's not only for where we're going with the company and where we're going with the, for the community, but also our our own team members, right? Like COVID took on a whole new meaning of what remote work looked like from a remote work perspective. And people do crave, you know, in, in-person touch and in-person conversation. So remote first, but not remote only will kind of take on different, different nodes uh, for us in the coming year. From that perspective, where, where are you seeing that? Um, are people receptive to going back to the office? Are, are they trying to work more? Because, uh, you know, when we first had you on, the world was closed. <laughs> Last year when we had you on, I think the world was coming out a little bit. And now it seems like, I mean, just go to the grocery store, 15% mask. Maybe that's <laughs> too high. I mean... Uh, it seems like a lot of people are going back to work um, and that doesn't seem to be remote only. Like, is yeah. that with having six, almost 600 employees, like what, what yeah. is the appetite for people on that? Well, we were remote before COVID, right? right? So we knew, especially the the community and the, the career seekers that we serve, that remote work is kind of a component of longevity in a career, being able to move with it, move within the military lifestyle and have that remote you know, job literally moving with you through, you know, um, a laptop or a phone. And so that need hasn't changed. If anything, a lot more people saw the opportunity to work remotely and have adapted to that. 
So from the career seeker side, I personally, through the company, have not seen a change. Like we still have hundreds and hundreds of applicants for every position. Like people are wanting to work remotely. Um, what is also interesting, having kind of that personal insight, because that's just how we've built our company and that's who we serve and that's what we deliver to customers is being a part of like HR executive conversations and seeing other organizations struggling with this very conversation. And it's just really interesting. I just sit there and listen because these are like, you know, companies that have been around for 55 years and they are struggling and understanding why people don't want to come back or how to make it hybrid. And sometimes that's just purely the thought process of people who haven't adapted yet. So it's, it's kind of messy still out there. Um, I do a lot of reading on it, one, because that's the space we're in, but also um, it's fascinating to see how different companies are still trying to figure it out. And as soon as they say everybody's back to the office, you see, you know, the kickback from that. Um, and I think it'll kind of continue to play out, but I don't think we're ever going to go back. I don't think any company will ever be able to say 100%, you know, everybody back in the office, um, probably within a specific company size, right? If you're local and you've got a smaller company, it's easier to bring those people in. If you're in the type of company, right? If you're yeah. global, like that, that's going to be a struggle because all of the systems and processes are built in place to allow that connection to be happening. I'm going through um, the civic leadership program right now. Um, if you're not familiar with it or the audience is familiar with it, it's a, it's a program where we get, visit various places across our region so we can learn more about the region so that we can better strengthen it. Um, but last month we, it was the military, we went to the Navy base and it was military to learn more about the, the footprint that we had here. Mm -hmm. And one thing that um, they had talked about that I was really surprised was that uh, when Congress or the gov bigger government goes through to look at what bases to close, um, do what's called BRAC. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that they look at is like, how well are the schools or how well do the spouses, you know, what type of opportunities do they have for employment? Is, is, that, oh, is that something that you're aware of or is that like one of the uh, marketing strengths that you have that, or is that just, you're just here filling the needs of, of the, the military spouses uh, in the community? I would think that that would be a great strength hold for you all to like, hey, yeah. this is what we're doing. I'm familiar with the BRAC process. When we left Germany, it was actually because that installation was closed down. So I'm familiar with the process. I actually have never heard that they considered the schools make sense, but I never heard anybody mention that they consider like the spouse employment opportunities in those areas. And maybe that's specific by region. Like we were at a European installation. So maybe that's more of a stateside thing. Um, I mean, everybody's always conscious of spouse employment challenges no matter where it is being remote just takes that away right like we don't have to worry about what's happening in a very specific you know region or the five mile radius outside of an installation because we're literally bringing companies who are you know also international or you know at least across the united states and pairing them with a team that is wherever they are um i think the other opportunity there is to always be sure that you're looking at both because there are opportunities locally. And that is some of, you know, what we're starting to even be asked for. And we've actually always been asked that, like, well, can't you build me a team in Norfolk? Like, that would be great. Um, and we just haven't ever been built to facilitate that, but that is now being asked in this hybrid world. So, you know, trying to figure out from a business sustainability model, this also starting to look local help. Um, the retention factor of the military is where military spouse employment, I think, is is the biggest connection. That dual income need, that opportunity to have your own personal identity um, and be, to be able to support in that lifestyle. But after a certain amount of time, if you know you would like to have your own identity as a spouse or you would like to have your own career and you know you're in 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, like naturally that conversation just starts to happen around like, okay, well, when you know, if you're going to transition out, the other individual needs to be stable and have income so that you don't have two individuals in transition and no income. So I think the more that all of that conversation is being had, like there's just going to be more and more opportunity for one retention within the military, but also the military spouse community. I think it's just, 
I would like to say it's ironic, but it's not because it happens every time we record a show. Like I am hot on the uh, the mute button as all of the F-22s are flying overhead because uh, yes. we're surrounded by military in this area. But it continues to happen. The sound of freedom, as many say. That's, that, that, yes. that is what they say. So the new role is, chief, what is it, chief what? what? Uh, chief people and community officer. So kind of taking on the head of like the HR function. Um, but then also community is really the new product that we're launching. So that has been in my wheelhouse is getting this product going, getting all the partnerships, sponsorships, market launch. I mean, it is just a whole new, I almost sometimes feel like I have three jobs, right? That's founder life. I still have to function as a founder. Like I have, I'm on the board, I have board responsibilities, we have investor duties, um, but I've taken on a whole functional role that, you know, I could now go fulfill it in another organization. So there's all the duties and responsibilities that are required in that function. And then, you know, kind of taking back on that founder head and launching the new product. So a lot of, lot of things happening on a daily basis. That's the dreams, the dream work. <laughs> Not being in, in, and the know with you guys in the in the day to days, it seems like before maybe um, more external facing, more stuff towards uh, building the company. Now it's more internal stuff, communicating with the the teammates. In is 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 that more of the role at this point, or is it still? Yeah, I think point? if I wasn't a founder, the role would be kind of different because I'm still founder, right? So I'd still doing interviews and still talking externally and connecting with, you know, customers and investors and partners. Um, but the day-to-day -day role, like what I wake up and what I do is very internally operational, right? Taking care of the 575 um, employees, being sure that all of the teams activating and launching, um, just all of the state and federal compliant things that you have to do when you hire 100% remote people is another full-time job. It's just a very messy space. Like, state federal regulations taxation like people just haven't caught up with what that looks like for a 100 remote organization so we spend a lot of time being sure that you know we're following um all, everything in compliance whether those who are asking for the compliance understand what they're doing or not um it's just it's it's a lot um and you started that in may, in may um yes yeah kind of the official transition was was may was it hard getting those teammates to trust you or do they already trust you at that point? Cause if you're talking with them a lot more. Yeah. I, I already over managing or I already oversaw the HR and the people operations and the culture and the community. So in a way I got to just downsize like my direct report team and gave up these other functions. I think that's a kind of a normal post series, a growth pattern, right? You have a founder or two founders who like cover down all departments and Liza and I were always really good about, splitting so that we didn't cross over when we didn't need to and it was clear to the teams and then we got to hire on two other c-suite which is a whole different dynamic having just been two founders with a very great relationship you know for five six years and then opening up that scope and allowing you know two other c-suite professionals in um, but we've made great hires they have been incredible partners they have helped us scale and grow like just how we could have hoped that they would um, but we've been able to give up functions. But it's amazing when that happens because there's never less work. If anything, it seems like more work is created, even if something's able to kind of, you know, be shared and taken off your plate. Can, can you walk us through the whole Series A process? Because you were able to do something that very few companies in our area have been able to do. So yeah. when I look back at episode 73, when we had you on, like, oh, yeah, we're going to go ahead. We're going to launch a series a it's gonna be led by tiger tiger global you'd have been like there's no it, that that was the furthest thing probably from anyone's mind but but you all did it so um, like how how did all that happen how were you introduced to tiger uh yeah i'm dying to hear all of that yeah this is really liza's wheelhouse so i will give her the shout out um as as true founder should that she as CEO has always led that side of the house, like her networking skills, her relationship skills. I mean, that is really how we have been able to do what we do. Her ability to articulate the vision. I mean, those pitch decks are things of beauty. I mean, that makes all the difference and she's really good. And she's, she learned how to refine over time. You know, there's like how I've done a pitch, you know, for um, Star Peninsula. You're, when you're pitching to investors, it's a very, very different pitch. So she refined the art of pitching to who 
you know, the outcome of who you're pitching to has to change. And that even changes through angel investors, series C to a series A, and really being invested in learning what those expectations are so that when you go to tell that story and you go to tell the, the opportunity of the business that you're putting the right information in front of them. So that kind of scale from angel investors to the series C to the series A has really just been network building. And I think that's one of those things people always think is cliche, like, oh, build your network. Okay, that's great. Like, why? <laughs> this is why, because then you have connections, you have referrals, and people see that you execute. I think that's something that we've been told over and over again is we have goals, right? Every founder has a goal. Every founder has a dream. And then you can also say you have a strategy, but it's what happens in between the goal and the strategy that actually gets you there. And, and we do execute and we are great executors and we follow the plans that we say we're going to follow, even if they have to pivot in those middle stages. Um, so it's always executing, being constantly in touch, even when you're not fundraising, giving people updates, staying connected, giving you know other people introductions and kind of giving back in that relationship way like, oh, hey, met this founder, maybe they'd be great for your portfolio. I'll do an introduction, right? Like it's just all a relationship game really and, and a trust building exercise to get somebody to give you money. <laughs> the, the people who crap on that are the ones that are constantly like, well, it's not working for me. Well, you're not doing anything. You're, yeah. You just, you, you're, you're not helping in any kind of way. You're, right. you're, you're sitting at home twiddling your thumb when you could be meeting, you know, however many people, if you meet one new person a day, that's, yeah. you know, 250 ish people a, a year, that's a better network than you had the year before. It's yeah. like, it ain't yeah. hard, but people are lazy, yeah. so they don't do it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's exhausting. Like raising a series A, like it looks like we said we did it and we did it right. That's what the out world, outside world sees. But the number of conversations that Liza had had, the number of times, then also the number of times we told no, like you guys are never going to close a series A. You're a hundred percent remote. Like nobody's going to give money, you know, in a series A hundred percent remotely. That's what we were told every single round. And if anything, I think there's also that little uh, stubbornness of like, okay, you told me I'm not going to do it. Now we're really going to go do it. Right. <laughs> and so what's it like having Tiger Global on your cap table? I mean, have they been yeah. great partners to have? Uh, how did that change the company? Yeah, great, great partners. Like we could not have asked really for a better Series A scenario. So um, we had had kind of two offers on the table at the same time, but very, very different the future would have been very different in that relationship between those um, two offers when we were closing the series A. So a lot of time and strategy and conversation and, you know, reflection with um, at that time, current other investors around like which direction does the company go? Um, and what was really unique about Tiger is cleanest term sheet we've ever seen, like maybe two pages max versus, you know, some of those can be in the hundreds of pages. So it was very clear up front, like exactly what they expected, what they were um, looking for from the company. And they didn't take a board seat, which is unusual in a post series A. And as female founders at still leading, you know, the company and we plan to, that was really, really, I don't know, lack of a better word, special to us as an opportunity to retain board ownership and leadership um, as the founders in a post series A. And I mean, they're just, they're a resource. So if we need something, they'll make a connection. Um, you know, there's updates and board decks and stuff that go out, but I'm, I have been involved in other companies in my previous lives and much worse series A um, scenarios and relationships, which I think everybody can share stories. You've either heard it or have seen it. Um, so again, like we, I think we are just really made a good decision and it has been a great relationship. Um, but again, it's reciprocal, right? Like you got to be able to have that conversation and volley that expectation back and forth. And then and now that 2023 markets have changed, fundraising is even more difficult than ever before. Yeah. Has what's what's been the communication from? Have you received any communication from Tiger saying, hey, extend runway? You uh, like is there been any communication from that standpoint to like batten down the hatches and we got to ride this thing out? Yeah. I mean, the, the theme of when you close, when we close the series a to today, I mean, it's changed. Right. And it's not just our relationship with our series a investor. Like that is just the economy and the fundraising space and the startup space in general. It was 
you know, kind of the old cliche originally is, you know, post series A, like growth at all costs, right? Use the cash, get it out there, hire who you need. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Probably around June, July, it was kind of those first indicators of like, hey, there's things happening, like just checking in, like have, what is, what does your cash look like? What does the situation look like? What is the deal pipeline look like? And then, you know, rolling into the fall and the new year. It, I mean, it's completely opposite. It's exactly that batten down the hatches. You've got to be able to ride this out. Um, and that, I mean, that changes strategy, right? Where we were a year ago, closing the series A and what we thought we were going to be doing in the company is very different than where we're kicking off the new year. Um, still driven for growth, still mission centric, but how we operate that looks very different internally. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, just like now, I mean, like, like default alive, being break even. Yeah, yeah, that's like, that's a good thing now. I mean, we're before, I mean, people were like, the numbers of the, of expected growth was out of control. Yep. Um, We've always been conservative spenders, right? Like, pretty conscious of what's going out. And again, I think that has set us up well for what's ahead. Like we already have that as kind of like the muscle memory and it's mm -hmm. more than we're used to. But again, we know what we need to do to be sure that, you know, 2023 has growth, but maybe not exponentially as previously expected. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that is a strength to this area is that the capital is so hard to come by that we've all the companies have been very, very conservative with their with yeah. their cash spend. And that was one of the things that when we had Jason Calacanis here for Star Peninsula four years ago that he picked up on right away was how uh, economical all the startups were with uh, that he had talked to. So, yeah, interesting. It is interesting, like that growth at all costs, like even seeing like like 30 days after we closed, like the things that we kind of went ahead and opened the aperture on. Right seeing organizations that have like two or three times that amount of cash and who maybe don't have the the right leadership or the right mentors in place to help guide that as you learn like oh my gosh like as you're in the middle of it you're like this is why there are recipes for disaster out there because hmm. i mean you just see organizations who don't think consciously like it you're told to burn cash people go out and burn cash but not in the right ways and it was a given that it was just when you needed to raise more money that you just asked for more money and you would have it. And this is not the case anymore. No, 100%. This is going to be a very hard year for, for startups, for sure. I, of those 570 employees, I mean, do you have to have those conversations with them, all hands on deck saying like, hey, like, this is what we're doing to to ensure that you guys are here? How, like, how does how does that conversation go down? Do you have you... Do you see some of the companies that you've been working with, have, they have backed off. So then those people have to get eliminated. Like what's the whole process of that trying to keep, keep people, you know, excited to do the work instead of being, you know, scared out of their minds that who knows what's going to happen. Cause, yeah. cause if you watch the media, you see, Oh, this company, you know, 11% oh, yeah. whatever drop, you know, 20. people see that people freak out, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. it's your job to, to make them not feel like crap and be scared. Yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a really hard space in that one is a startup too. And just what's happening in the world. I mean, LinkedIn rollups every day are all these large organizations, right? Every single day, 11,000 people, 8,000 people, 9,000 people. So um, I think you have to be conscious that like no company is insular to that, right? No company going into 2023 is, is not going to be affected by that when our customers are affected, like you said, like there might be changes happening inside the organization. So about 90 of those 575 are our corporate team. So that means those are the people running the company daily. And so instead of exponentially, you know, running into 2023, growing those teams, we've just kind of said, hey, probably going to be like, we have some positions open now, Q1, but make those decisions wisely because these team members or who are going to carry and grow the company throughout 2023. Um, the rest are account based. So those are the team members that are working, you know, specifically on, on, um, customer accounts. And we haven't quite seen, um, any large cutbacks or changes yet. Not to say that that's not going to come. I mean, that was something we experienced within 30 days of COVID happening. We had a lot of customers in the, uh, travel tech space and we lost, you know, a huge book of business because those companies were the first to go like within 30 days. Um, so not really like projecting or foreseeing anything like that. We're pretty diversified now as far as the types of industries our different accounts are in so that, you know, there's some sustainability given where business might change and pivot in the coming year. Um, 
but it is, it's, it's a hard time to be staying ahead of that one from just a personal panic, right. As a founder, like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be a really hard year ahead. Um, but being able to articulate, articulate that in a very like trusting, clear nature to the organization while you're watching all the things swirl around you. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's something daily right now that I'm getting HR roll up emails and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to stop these. Cause I don't, I don't need to know detail by detail at this point. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks when you do get on the LinkedIn and it's just like, so freaking negative. It's like, okay, yeah. it's like, are, are you, are you like, you know, adding fuel to the fire, making things worse? Yeah. I think, yes. You know, are things really that bad? You know, it's like, just because jobs are eliminated doesn't necessarily mean that like that wasn't a good move for the company too. sometimes where you're trying to remove fat. I mean, it, all you have to do is go look at a construction site from a city and see how many people aren't working. If you just eliminate some of those positions, it's like, yeah, it sucks that, that person lost their job. And maybe that's an unfortunate thing for me to say, but it's like, you, you weren't really doing anything. 15 people don't need to be in a bulldoze yeah. in that road. It's just like, yeah. come on, there's unnecessary. You saw it with Twitter, right? They dropped 90% of their talent and they seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That really comes down sometimes to the in internal way that, you know, especially in a remote work environment, like the productivity and efficiency of what team members are doing. And I think sometimes remotely, that's even an easier review because if you're hundred percent remote and somebody's not doing something, I mean, daily productivity is like a dependency chain, right? This person needs to accomplish this so that this team can move here. And when you do that remotely, if a piece doesn't happen, it's very easy to identify like a backlog or something that's not moving forward. Um, and maybe that's just how we've kind of built our organizational culture is like making decisions and moving things forward every day. Um, but yeah, if, you know, if somebody is not working, you can usually tell remotely versus in an office, I could sit at my desk all day. I'm there in body. But am I, am I there in productivity and contribution? I don't oh, know. so it's easier to tell that someone's not being productive remotely? Because I, I, I actually—that's my I own have personal a, statement. Because <laughs> well, I have a note like, how do you how? Because I think a lot of people you were talking about earlier, where they're yeah. they're still stuck in their ways. They don't want to move remote. They're afraid of that aspect. You hear these yeah. people, you know, they want to work from home. Are they working like? So how do you motivate a team to get that done? I mean, you said the daily productivity chain. I mean, is it as simple as just having something like that? Yeah, I, I don't think it's even, I mean, it's obviously motivation. Like we all have responsibilities as leaders to keep people motivated, inspired and moving forward. I think where most companies are missing and where they're not taking the time to evolve is in those systems and processes. So if you have a company that's been around 30 years and the only way they function is by in-person, then when you send those people home remotely, there are no systems or processes to be able to see the project management, like see how things have moved, like very visually. When I say see, I'm talking like, you know, ClickUp or a Miro board, like those types of systems and processes, you put timelines in place. Somebody doesn't deliver something on a timeline, you ask why, you know, and then you discover, you know, maybe they weren't working but having all those checks and balances and that process in place is, is how you see that. I personally think, and just from experience of working, you know, in many places up until the past, you know, 10 years before I was working remotely, I think people hide from productivity easier in a cubicle or office setting than they do remotely. Um, and we've even developed exercises kind of like um, uh, time checks or like, you know, what did give me the, your past week. Like if people ask, you know, about a new position change or a new salary change, you're like, right, let's do a quick review. Let's see what you're doing. Let's see what your day looks like. Um, and then you can kind of see, oh, hey, there's actually like five hours or, you know, five to 10 hours of time that it doesn't look like, you know, like what else would you like to use that time for? Or it just kind of puts that system in check. So those are all things we do and that we've built into the process and systems of the company. So I think that's where people are missing it. Like if you want to go hybrid or remote and you haven't taken the time to rethink how to show the productivity without big brothering it, right? Like I don't want a camera on me and my mouse right. being checked every 20 seconds for a movement. Like that's also not the solution. I think another thing that you have to your advantage as well, though, is that you and Liza have been creating that culture from day one. Yeah. Um, and so your culture has always been remote from the very beginning, whereas other companies, like you said, that have been around forever, 
to, to like reinvent the culture of a company has got to be very, very difficult. So yeah. if, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that part of the onboarding process with the other 573 people that you have is part of that culture. Yeah. 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 How we use Zoom how versus how we use Slack, how we communicate this, this, the tools and the systems that are a part of your daily job to be productive and move the company forward every single day. Um, yeah, I kind of take that for granted that we've always been remote um, and that even as founders, Liza and I have never, ever lived in the same place. Like we've never had an in-office dynamic um, as founders. So you're right. Like everything that we have built from the ground up has been remote efficient and remote communication. And, you know, it's just naturally who we are as a company. Are you a fan of the Super Bowl? I like the halftime shows. <laughs> Okay. You're familiar with the commercials at the Super Bowl? Yes. <laughs> okay, so if you had, you know, $10 million, which is what they roughly are costing in 2023 in 30 seconds, what's the instant teams commercial? Ooh, that's fun. If I had $10 million for a commercial, oh my gosh, this would be amazing. Um, so I think it would be a combination of focusing on the people of that we serve, right? As the, the narrative of any business model should always be the people. So kind of, you know, are we going really deep? Like, am I going to give you the play-by-play -play here? Because I might get carried away. <laughs> you, look, I've only asked this question twice like you zoom now. Out and there's like somebody sitting like, like I'm ready for this. Um, no, I think it would be a montage of like the people functioning in their daily lives, right? The things, whether they're a, a military spouse or somebody who just wanted remote work or somebody that needed it for another family dynamic, the stories of the people and then showing the type of work and how we've connected that out to organizations. Um, it's interesting though, because we've done some really fun, great media things recently, um, even from like the journalistic side. And the first thing people ask is, well, how do we do this remotely? Like, how do we show impact of you all as a remote company? Like, cause you can only do so much through a Zoom interview. Um, so the creativity in that is again that remote first but not remote only we actually are going to be opening an office space in southern pines which is uh north carolina which is the very first for the company to actually have a footprint uh somewhere and i think it's the combination of that is being able to show the impact getting some on-site energy from different locations you know if we have 10 million dollars we could travel around the world and see what you know 50 people are doing and montage that all together for a, a super bowl commercial are you offering do you know somebody that has 10 million for some Super Bowl commercials? I mean, the crazy thing is, I'm, as I'm listening to Zach's question and your response, <laughs> you got $10 million for 30 seconds. And then at the same token, from the earlier conversation that we've had on this show, all right, here's 10 million. Now I need you to make that last 24 to 36 months. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, whoa, 10 million for, for that seems like not in my, not in my conscious thinking right now. <laughs> The reason I ask is a lot of people, if they were given that, I don't even know that they they dream enough like that, where like they could yeah. they could have their own Super Bowl commercial, right? And yeah. so, you know, is that a waste of money? Yeah, I'm sure it's probably a waste of money, but it's still interesting to kind of think and and work yeah. through what that could look like. Cause you, yeah. you you've been around a lot of startups. You you participate in startup competitions and okay. people are like, oh, you know, I'm 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 raising however many dollars. And then you ask them, what would you use those funds for? Right. And they're like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, well, at least let's give them a scenario where they could spend it and see if they could even come up with something good. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. You said pine, what'd you say? Uh, Southern Pines, uh, Southern North Carolina? Pines, North Carolina, yeah. It's, okay, uh, I saw that you had posted online that you were moving. Yeah. I figured it was somewhere where you live now. I That's far from where you live. Um, that's where Liza is. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Okay. When you when you're 100 remote, you just got to pick a place. Like it's not going to be convenient for anybody except the one person in that area. So, um, but no, we have a lot of um, team members in kind of the Fort Bragg area. It's kind of between Raleigh and Fort Bragg. Um, so there's a pretty good footprint there, um, and the space will be used for you know team travel, board meetings. Um, we're actually going to open it up as a co-working space for other military spouses who might be in the area traveling through. So it'll kind of be a multi-purpose space. You're super involved with our community here, and I'm really, really grateful for that, Star Peninsula included. As you've worked with so many founders, is there one piece of advice that you've 
find yourself coming back to you over and over again? And what is that advice that you you give to the founders? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is not so much advice, but the behavior that I see and the people that you can predict are going to continue on in their journey. And it was something that people told us that we did well. And so I've paid attention to that, just knowing like not from an egocentric standpoint, like, yeah, we do that so great. Um, but the story kind of speaks for itself. Um, and that's the follow-up. If you've been put in front of somebody and given an opportunity to get mentorship or resources or an idea, even if it's just one time, nine out of 10 people will, will not follow up and ask for your time or, you know, an idea or a brainstorming session. Um, and it's always those that do that then, you know, have the opportunity to give, you know, whether it's a life lesson or um, advice, brainstorming to, I think people forget the value of following up again it's that execution thing right like there's no magic sauce to being raising money or having a successful company sometimes it's just as easy as hey i'm here what can i do for you or hey what do you have going on um i'd like to be involved and we've said yes to a lot of things which as an introvert sometimes is too much for me but i know for the company it's important um so if i had to give advice at this point it would just be you know, say yes to things, follow up with people, even if you feel intimidated. I used to feel intimidated by a lot of people. I don't anymore because once you get in front of people who you think are intimidating, they're sometimes not as great as you actually thought they were, or <laughs> they are they are truly there to be your advocate. Yeah. Um, and you don't really learn that until you start to put yourself in those situations. So it's really funny you mentioned that because it's so simple, the follow-up aspect. Yeah. Like I'll get an email and someone will be like, hey, hey. I'm really busy right now. Follow up in two weeks. I mean, it's so easy to now Apple mail's got it, but I, and I use superhuman. I snooze the email to audit, to set, set a reminder to reappear in my inbox in two weeks and follow up. It's so easy. It takes two yeah. seconds to do that. And when you do it, it totally changes the conversation. Yeah. But do you know how many people meet someone at a networking event or an, it meet someone for the first time, get their business card. Only 20% of those people actually follow oh. up with them in general. Yeah. So I'm at, like, that's just one out of five, you know, so that's obnoxious. So why even go to a networking event if it's going to be like that? It also is an opportunity, right? So you're like, oh, crap, if no one's yeah. going to do this, like, I'll because be Because if you're one. the person in the room doing it, then that is really your game to be, right? That the audience is there for you. <laughs> and Zach, just, Zach I, you're really good so about obnoxious. saying the time when you when you when you call upon someone because you need something, it's already too late. I mean, you, that, that relationship right. should have been established weeks or months ago. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Meet yeah. one like meet one new person a day. Again, that's two hundred fifty people a year. There, you have a better network. Like, just just have a two minute conversation with them. Like, ask them what they're watching on Netflix. Like, people think that's the most ridiculous <laughs> question, but you'll learn something about them. Yeah. What am I watching on Netflix? You want to know? Yeah, tell us. <laughs> it's actually not on Netflix, I don't think. But um, like a year ago, I started watching Yellowstone, and I couldn't get into it. And then I gave it another try like a couple weeks ago. And I watched a little bit more clearly. And um, I was like, okay. So actually, as of last night, I'm fully, uh, I've watched season five, episode eight. So I'm completely wow. caught up. Nice. Um, and there was a couple of times that I want to turn off that show for some of the things that they did. I was like, that was unnecessary. <laughs> so, Take it to the train station. The show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I don't mind the train station. Um, I mind some of the things with animals. Um, it's, uh, it's a little, uh, what do you watch on Netflix? Either of you. Um, so two, I think it's on Netflix. Do the other channels, like the other platforms count? Are we only yes, of talking? Yeah, of Is course. there a sponsor? Are we only talking Netflix right now? <laughs> I'm sure Netflix will get open. all these shows at some point, so it doesn't yeah, yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll stay on track then. Um, Emily in Paris, which you can mm. laugh at if you haven't watched it. The marketing genius and inspiration from that show is so much fun. Like as a founder, mm. um, I don't know if you've seen it or or heard of it, but she's like an American marketing exec that ends up in Paris and just kind of fumbles her way through the culture. But she is like so sharp with like how she sees challenges and can put them into like these campaigns that just kind of like blow your mind. And it's like fashion industry, but I love the energy of like the creativity of that show. So that's been a fun one. Um, but then we've also been watching Limitless, 
which is um mm, see i couldn't get into that the chris hemsworth movie yeah uh, on disney yeah yeah too yeah. um but because i like that concept right like how far can you push a body how far can you push your mind like what have we not tapped into is humans it is it's kind of a, a slower kind of documentary but those concepts i i like to understand and it's been pretty interesting so i thought the trailer was great uh, on that <laughs> limitless i was because i was like oh this is gonna be great you know this yeah. guy's like is, is that thor is that who that yeah, that's is thor. Yeah. yeah what about you tim uh we are watching ray donovan Ooh, that's uh, good we're, in, we're in season six right now so watching that i've heard a lot of things about um white lotus so I watched, we have I watched that it, put it on your list. It's inter, it's entertaining. It's good. Yeah. So I think that 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 would be next. At least I'm that's what I'm campaigning for. However, I would watch I think it's called Nine Strangers over White Lotus. Hmm. I'll have to go what what sure. are what are you most what what show are you most uh in anticipation of for 2023? Oh. Gosh. Uh Stranger Things. I'm a huge Stranger Things fan. I love the sci-fi. But maybe that's not till 2024. Maybe I'm really going to mm. have to wait a while. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for uh, Ted Lasso. Ooh, See, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get into that show either. And I don't have that Apple Plus. So I think I watched some of that, though. Yeah, uh, I don't know what I'm looking forward to. Maybe the XFL. I'm. I want to see if 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 it was doing well before. I know that's ridiculous, right? But when Vince McMahon brought it back the second time, it was yeah. doing well, and then COVID shut it down. The Rock yeah. bought it. Obviously, like I think The Rock is an incredible individual. Yeah. Uh, he bought it for I don't know pennies on the dollar, fifteen million bucks, something like that, and yeah. is launching next month, right after the Super Bowl. It'll be interesting to see if the crowds they're in kind of like soccer stadiums. Yep. Yeah. If if The Rock's brand. Yep. can build that um yep so he's a great business like leader like he said I, that yesterday he said that the drink that he made is done doing 100 million not the tequila the other one um the, the zoa drink or, is already doing a drink yeah i think it's either 100 million dollars or 100 million units has already gone through and that's just the rocks brand and it's just it's incredible to build a brand where you can just put your name on it and it sells whether it's good or not multiple times yeah. yeah. I mean, it's obnoxious. Yeah. Well, Erica, I am building your brand because I wear this hoodie. I know. I love it. I'm excited every time you have it on. They're they're very comfortable. We did. They're very, very comfortable. It's a perfect uh, weight, to, weight. Just yeah. to add enough warmth. Uh, and it's not too much. But yeah, I, this is probably my the most worn item in my <laughs> closet. It. Nice. So thank you. Nice. Thank you. You know. And I bought him a jacket and he wears yours more than my yours than yeah. mine. So congratulations on that. Um <laughs> what's you something that we have though, right? Yeah, I think we said of course I do. I did not wear it today. Um and the hat's behind me somewhere. Um the what what's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Maybe this Peter Frampton jacket. Oh <laughs> I didn't know you were actually gonna talk about like the things that you asked for as random facts. Um, don't put it yeah, out there. You, yeah. I mean, I, me I was curious <laughs> yeah, how the, how the, what's, what's the thrift shop, the thrift store scene like these days? Is <laughs> yeah. it like, is, is it scarce? Cause everyone's doing it and it's kind of hip right now. Uh, yeah. So it's. So I have found that it's kind of my like founder Zen. So, you know, they always say, especially in the throes of fast growth, like you have to like stay grounded, like whether it's physical exercise, which I do do, I don't enjoy that, but I do it. Um, something that you enjoy. And for some reason, like going thrift shopping, I go by myself. It's quiet. I don't have to problem solve. I don't have to talk to anybody. I'm just like looking for treasures, kind of how I, I talk about it conceptually. Um, I love the thrill of like finding like a really good name brand, finding something vintage. And you kind of have to hunt for that, right? You have to like take time and go through racks. Um, I do a great job at it. Like, I love it. I actually send... Um, little boxes of like a stitch fix concept just to friends and family like not as a business of things that i find um because it's not fun if you can only shop for your own size so i'm like oh this is a size you know whatever this will look great on so and so um and so i started that when we lived in monterey california this is where the peter frampton mm. story came from um 
And if you're not familiar with Monterey, California, it's Pebble Beach, it's Carmel, Carmel Valley. Like it's a very, very wealthy area. And about 45 minutes away from where we lived, there was a county dump. And on the county dump, they had a place called the Last Chance Merchantile. And it was oh. basically truckloads of stuff that the wealthy families in Pebble Beach and Carmel would get rid of. Every Tuesday and Thursday morning, these truckloads would pull through the dump, drop everything off at the shop, and it was like a free-for-all. Like People would line up behind a red like velvet rope to go out and like see what was happening on these truckloads. Oh, wow. Um, but the Big Sur Marathon, which you both might be familiar with, mm -hmm. also happens out there. And specifically that race, because of the elevation in the area, people just shed layers. Yep. So every year, all of that stuff is picked up. I mean, these are things that people bought just for the race and like name brand stuff. All that stuff is picked up. They sell that at the Last Chance Merchantile. So like if you want a name brand workout clothes, you would just wait till after the Big Sur Marathon and you'd go out there and buy whatever you wanted. Um, so I was out there one day for that reason. And I found like um, a shiny, like those shiny jackets from like the 80s, 90s, oh, yes. like a sateen jacket. And it had a NASA symbol on it. I was like, well, that's cool. So then I pick mm -hmm. it up and under the NASA symbol, it literally says Peter Frampton. And I was like, so I like called my dad. I was like, is, Peter Frampton was like the guy that you like had the, you know, the really good songs that you listened to, like, you know, when I was born and through the seventies, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, interesting. I was like, I found this jacket and it has like a NASA symbol on it. So he actually, while we're on the phone, Googles it. And he was like, get that jacket. And I was like, why? <laughs> he goes, he just did a, like a, a space simulcast concert for, one of the space shuttles or, you know, space stations and wore that jacket. And I was like, what the heck? Why is that jacket here? So I got it for like 75 cents and took it home. <laughs> I'm like, surely this isn't like actually a rock star's jacket. Um, but then I did some investigative uh, searching online and found like the tour manager and I just like random founder skills. You know, this is before I was a founder, but apparently something I just did naturally like, it's going to take my shot. Hey, I'm at the edge of my seat. Wait, this could, this can't be happening, Zach. <laughs> this is great. Me, this I thought it was me. Um, and sure enough. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, we. Every Oh, are we good? We're we're good. Yeah, we're, Zach and I are okay, like just waiting. We lost you for a second. You 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 made contact we're at with manager. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh um, God. This yeah, is so great. Like in the in episode two ten, we'll give you the rest of the story. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. come back Hold in. On. <laughs> um, so I got in touch with the tour manager, and he confirmed that it was indeed his jacket. So they had had a tour bus broken into, and a whole bunch of stuff had been stolen. Oh. This is California, right? So it was just out in California, and he's like, "But Peter doesn't know that that jacket is missing. Could you send it back to me?" <laughs> I was like. Pulled over on the side of the road having this conversation. I was like, well, sure, I'm, it's not mine. I paid 75 cents for it. Like, I'm definitely happy to send it back. So I sent it back. And like two weeks later, just an envelope with my name on it and a $20 bill showed up. Like, he just sent me a $20 bill. No, 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 thank you. Like, not that I was expecting it. It was just like 20 bucks in an envelope. About that, 20, <laughs> better than a 20x return. Yeah. But then he emailed like the next day and said, Hey, two concert tickets on us, no matter where you want to go in the world. If you're ever near a Peter Frampton concert, let me know. And so like three years later, I followed up on it and took my dad to a Peter Frampton concert all because I found the jacket. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. On a, a side story. note, that's, a, that's an awesome story. Something else the 20 bucks in tickets. Though. Come on, Peter. But I'm thinking though, I, and maybe the show already exists. I totally see a show where you are a uh, someone is a fashion consultant strictly going to thrift stores to do like a makeover of some kind. Yeah. That's a reality show in the making if it's not already done. Okay, yeah. so there's something like this. So um, the WWE has a thing on A&E and it's old wrestling items that have gone lost. That's cool. And they try to find them okay. with places. And one of them the past season was like... Um, rick flair's jacket apparently he used to yeah woo he used to wear all these robes and i guess he would leave them in the hotel rooms or something mm -hmm. I, I i don't know I, I i can't remember but there was one that he wore that someone that they couldn't find it and they actually found it in richmond Interesting. and the guy wanted like 
150 grand for it and a bunch of other stuff. Like, dude, some of these items people are selling for a lot yep. of money. Hmm. It's it's quite interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think that show could work for other other ways, like you said, Tim. But there is something in existence if you're a fan of the, the old wrestling. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Erica, we look forward to chatting episode 210-ish. Hopefully okay, you will accept. Pencil it in. <laughs> we, uh, pencil it in. And uh, anything else you want to talk about today? Nope. I just appreciate your time. Thank you both for your always support and uh, championing of what we're doing at Instant Teams. And to you as well. Thank you for all that you do for the community. Yep. Rock on like Peter yeah. Frampton. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. I have a picture of me in the jacket that I took before I sent it back. So That's awesome. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> 